can money buy happiness? Well, people are pretty dogmatic that it can't. <laughs> but today's queer money guest, Jason Weidig, author of You Only Live Once and the newly published book, Happy Money, Happy Life, says it can. Jason's the founder of Frugal.com and has taken his two Road to Financial Wellness tours all over the country. And he's sharing his controversial opinion as part of our ongoing financial well-being series brought to you by Capital One. You're listening to Queer Money episode 384. And if you hang on to the end, you'll hear how you might qualify to win a copy of Jason's book, Happy Money, Happy Life. Let's get on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. So welcome, Jason, after all this time to the Queer Money Podcast. Well, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. It's been some time. Likewise. And I really thoroughly enjoyed reading your book. I got to wrap up finishing it last weekend. So I'm curious, I have some thoughts, but why do you think now was the time to write a book like this about financial well-being and, and happiness? Well, you, you both know that I've been talking about financial wellness for almost a decade and started really talking about it more outwardly in 2015. And I think people weren't ready to really talk about the mental and emotional aspect of financial health. And because of what we've been through with the pandemic, I think this is the time everyone is willing to talk about the the mental issues that come along with some of the financial distresses that we experience. And so today was really the best time to, to get it out there. Yeah. yeah, that was kind of my suspicion too. We do see a an uptick in the number of people being willing to share like their emotional journey, the trauma that they've dealt with or the stress that they're under right now and how they're managing that. It just seems like it's more prevalent, more ubiquitous these days. And so it just did kind of seem serendipitous for a book like this to come out. You say that money does buy happiness, but it's kind of sacrosanct to say that money doesn't buy happiness. How do you how do you rectify that? How do you justify that? <laughs> Well, it's interesting because the people that say money doesn't buy happiness tend to have a ton of money or struggling. So in the middle ground, it's like I've learned from those who have money and those who state that they are happy that money can buy happiness because money affords us all the essentials that we need in life. And so if we can't afford housing, food, shelter, medicine, it's very hard to be happy because we need to get those those essential things covered. And so when someone tells me money can't buy happiness, I, I go back and I look at them and I go, hand me some of your money and I can, and let me determine <laughs> if it can or cannot. And so I think it's important for us to understand that, that we live in a society built around money. Money weaves itself into pretty much everything. And so whether we agree with it or disagree, we have to understand that money plays a role and it plays a role in our happiness. And I think it does a disservice for us when we say money can't buy happiness because then we don't work at improving our relationship with money and having it work for us as a tool. And that's why I look at it. It's like money is a tool to create what? Perhaps create more happiness in our lives. That totally makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting, John and I, earlier today for lunch, we actually watched a video on YouTube talking about this subject and seeing some faces that we're familiar with in the personal finance space. And they were kind of breaking down this whole idea of 
experiences versus things and using your money to buy experiences versus things. And we started going down this whole idea of, well, well, who gets to decide what makes you happy? Right. I mean, it, it, it is, is there inherently ha- more happiness in someone wanting a thing or someone else wanting an experience? And, and really what you're kind of getting at here is that each of us have a different yearning or desire in life. And our happiness is tied to the things that we see and do around us. And without money or with a lack of money, scarcity, then we're those kinds of things will be scarce in our lives. The kinds of things, and I'm not just talking about things as in possessions, I'm talking about things as in experiences as well. Those things will be missing. And then we do miss out on some of the things that can bring happiness. Yeah, that's that's exactly what happens. And I think it's important for us to understand that I'm not here to tell you that experiences are better than stuff because some people value stuff more than experiences. It's a matter of understanding what your values are. And I think that's at the core of people not feeling happy when it comes to spending with their money is that we don't understand what our what our core values and we don't align our align our spending with those core values. And so for me, I'm a big believer in memories appreciate, stuff depreciates. I prefer to spend money on friends and family and create memories because those are the things that will grow over time versus kind of buying some tchotchkes or or some physical item that's going to collect dust on your shelf. And you know, I don't want to be remembered for the for the stuff that's collecting dust on your shelf. I want to be remembered when you're walking down the street or in your car and you start laughing because we had a shared memory. And I think there is, for me, there is a better way for us to spend our money to bring in a bit more happiness. So I do talk about in the book that, you know, memories do appreciate over time. And certainly there are certain things that we could buy, some stuff we could buy that can contribute and enhance that memory. And it's just a matter of, again, to knowing our core values and understanding what we can, how we can use our money to align those values with the stuff that we're we're buying, whether it's memories or stuff. I think what a lot of this is getting at, including the video that we watched earlier earlier today, is that I think because we live in such a consumption society and a modern today's modern definition of what capitalism is, I think people are just used to buying, 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 and without intention, without consciousness to it. And this is what we talked about in our book being money conscious. And I think that's what you're kind of saying here is being more intentional about what you're purchasing and how exactly that's providing you a quality of life, if it is at all. And if it's not, you can avoid it and focus on buying things or in making investments in things that will actually improve your your quality of life or minimize your unhappiness. Is that correct? Yeah. And, and kind of going back to your point about consumption, I mean, we are labeled as consumers. And as consumers, we need to constantly consume. And if we consume, there's a point where our happiness is based on this consumption. So if we stop consuming, we're thereby can't be happy until we start. And then it's this big cycle. And so it, it is important to kind of take a step back and understand and align our spending, that consumption to things that last a bit longer. So, I mean, everything is built around a kind of a like let's say for instance, the iPhone, technological obsolescence, right? So it's built for it to be obsolete for a period for a time. And eventually when you realize that piece, you want to make sure that you align your purchases on things that that 
are kind of stretches through time and has a bit more longevity. And that's when I think about memories and I think about even high quality stuff. I'm not the type of person that says, hey, skip out on, on like the cheapest clothing or the cheapest car, find the best car, find the best clothing for your budget and look at the longevity aspect of it. How is it going to last? How do you feel in, in that new car? How do you feel in that, in that clothing? And look at the longevity aspect of it, the usability part of it. And that is how we use our money to help us to support this bit of happiness. Because when, when I've seen people too, is that they'll go and they'll buy 10 different t-shirts for $10 a piece and go, I saved money versus buying the $50 t-shirt that they would wear pretty much every single time. And that would probably bring them a bit of joy and happiness. And so we see this a lot with people that go to concerts, right? They buy this $50, $75 t-shirt and they go, why would you spend $50 on that that concert t-shirt, but it brings them about like that brings them back to that moment when they were in mm -hmm. that concert versus going into the what is it, the fast fashion store and buying that five, ten dollar t-shirt and buying 10 of them, thinking, oh yeah, I saved money. But in the end, it's like, you know, did you really align to what what matters to you? And are you gonna be able to remember anything from that purchase? Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ community, through access to credit, tools to manage debt, and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. 100%. You know, we watched the Super Bowl last night and one of the more popular commercials, I'm not going to mention the brand, but one more, one of the more popular commercials was about an app where you can go shopping for like and get like a suit for like $15 and t-shirts for like $3. And we were just wondering like, what is the quality of those purchases? How long will they last? And how much actually joy are you going to get out of that when it's so easy to get and probably so easy to depreciate and become trash within couple of weeks, let alone a couple of years. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Because when I was studying all this research paper on this book, and we're, we're going to kind of touch on happy space, which is the environmental well-being. Yeah. Fast fashion does affect the environment in terms of the amount of clothing that gets sent to different parts of the world. And the different parts of the world is saying, we do not need any more clothing from America. We have yeah. way too much. Right. And here we are in this consumption piece, believing that if we just keep consuming, we're going to feel better about ourselves. And I think this kind of brings into when I talk about money can buy happiness, right? Because when I say money can buy happiness, I want people to understand money isn't happiness. And when I say you can buy happiness with money, I'm talking about the wellness aspect of it, how you're thinking, how you're feeling, how you're doing and what you're doing with your time essentially. And that's when I talked about those eight wellness dimensions. I think it's, it's so important and vital for us to understand the difference. And I think when people chase money and they chase these financial milestones, believing that they're going to be happy once they achieve it, well, they're hit with a with a truth. And that truth is, wow, I'm not as happy or satisfied as I thought. And then they start thinking about the time that they've used in, in working to achieve that goal. And, and so I want people to understand too, it's like there's there's a time aspect of it when we're thinking about happiness and how we spent it. Absolutely. I want to dive into the wellness dimensions, but before we do that as a precursor, you say that I want to ask you what you mean by money solves 
money problems, but not life's problems. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So I think when people are looking at making purchases, they look at, okay, I'm going to buy a car because it's going to make me feel better. Well, the money is going to solve that money problem of affording the car, but it's not going to solve the life problem of not feeling adequate or not feeling like your best selves without that vehicle. And that goes by that goes back to like our our discussion on the purchases that we make. We think that we're going to make this purchase of X, Y, and Z. It's going to make us feel better. It's going to make us feel secure. It's going to make us feel confident. It's going to make us feel loved. Money can't buy those things. Money can money can solve the things around it. And so if you need, let's say for instance, here, here's an example. Money can't buy security, but money can help you get a new job. And so, so for instance, you can buy back your time. And by saving money into an account that that can be used to pay your living expenses for the months that you're not working. So you, in essence, you buy back your time. And so when people look at, okay, well, I'm going to buy back my security, they have this idea that they can buy it by putting on a new home security system or doing anything else in terms of buying purchases. So I think what you're getting at then is this is a great segue into the the eight wellness dimensions, which as I interpret it to be is more of your sort of prescription of focus your spending in these areas and you'll get a much better return out of just random mass consumption. Would that be correct? Yeah. So I've I've done a bunch of studies and I spoke with a hundred people and I read a ton of these research like really smart scientists. And I realized that when we spend our money on these wellness dimensions, we are in fact buying back our happiness. Or I say buying back our happiness because we're we're kind of alluding to the fact that we're per- making purchases that take us away from what we truly want, that joy, that satisfaction, that happy feeling. And so when we spend our money on these dimensions, we are in fact doing something that has a long-term impact as opposed to short term. And these wellness dimensions that we talked about, there's eight of them. There's mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, social, environmental, occupational, and financial wellness. So these are the eight dimensions that make you, you. And when you start spending to improve these dimensions, you'll notice a ripple effect. You'll notice that they're intersecting they're connected. And so it's so powerful when you realize that you are made up of these eight wellness dimensions. Gotcha. It's, it sounds, I, I guess I do have a question about this because I 100% agree. As you listed those, I, I think about how they do intersect and overlap and, and depending on what circumstances we're at or where we're at in our lives, it makes sense that those maybe where those some of those are overlapping is where we may want to focus our spending. One of the things that we're hearing a lot about right now is is self-care. And when I hear you talk about these various dimensions, I think about self-care, right? But is there a mistake we can make when we think we're spending on self-care because we think we're spending on one of these dimensions when in reality it's not truly self-care that's actually filling that dimension. Absolutely. I love this question because 
when we when you think about or we think about self-care based on this consumption economy that we have it's oh yeah take care of yourselves by by buying the candle by going to a spa treatment by doing all these things that's going to just temporarily relieve the the pain or the suffering that you're going through. I have no problem with people buying candles. I have no problem go, getting a massage <laughs> and, and doing all these really awesome things, right? But that doesn't actually solve the root issue of the what's really hurting you in the wellness dimensions. And so I do see a lot of this. Oh, take a you know, take care of yourself. Self-care is so important. Go on a spa, go on a short vacation, and ultimately you can make these purchases, feel good at that moment, but then you come back to reality and realizing you haven't really solved the problem. And then you think the solution is to just continue making these purchases. That's going to le lend itself to some more financial issues down the line. So for me, it's okay to go on a spa vacation. It's okay to go get some treatments, but you want to understand that those are just coping mechanisms and you need to go in the root issue of what's really troubling you. So for instance, I talked about someone who purchased a vehicle and the car in the book. So they purchased a car and they believing that it was going to solve their problem. And their problem really was their work. They were really tired of working in a very toxic work environment, but they thought they worked really hard to make good money. So the solution was to, to buy the vehicle that they could afford, but essentially it trapped him to the job that he needed to escape from. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that, that belief that you took control of your situation by purchasing that vehicle, a vehicle you can't afford, well, essentially you realize when you take a step back, you've trapped yourself in the toxic work environment in the area and the dimension that is really hurting you, the, the work dimension. So how, what would you propose that person should have done to address the actual root cause as opposed to actually purchasing the car? So in that situation, when you are in a toxic work environment or you're in an environment that's really unsafe you want to buy back your time. That's putting money into a savings account, saving enough money so that you can buy back the months. So instead of having to work to pay your basic living expenses, you now have money saved or invested that can cover those basic living expenses. So that's how you change your situation. Now, once you've paid back or not paid back, but once you've regained back your time, you can then use that time to go find work that aligns with your core values. You could leave the toxic work environment much sooner than later. And in that sense, you're going to solve that dimension that's been in pain for some time. Yeah, yeah this I, is, it's yeah. very similar to the discussion we had with Israel and Tovar. Sunim Tovar talking about how teachers should have their own sabbatical fund so that they can, when they may, they may get to this point where they have to say, I need some time off. I need to break away. I need to, and having that be, give them the opportunity to pivot or refocus their lives or just take some time away from their career. It's interesting. You talk about this idea of buying our time back, but really it's buying the opportunity to understand where our time or our energy could be spent in a much better way, right? We have we have the opportunity to step back and say more because more often than not, we may not see that we're actually in a toxic environment, 
Yeah. Right. We may not understand that we're in a toxic relationship. Everybody on the outside can see that the relationship or the work, the job that we have is is toxic. But as you mentioned, I, I'm doing a great job. I deserve this. This is great. I mean, I'm making really good money. I I'm building the life that I want. But you're kind of masking all of this toxicity with being out there buying the things or having the experiences that prevent you. So if you're able to step back, you can actually see that that you're in that kind of environment. That's absolutely right. And that's why too, I also push back when people spend all their money on mini vacations or experiences, because I love, I love those things. I love mini vacations and experiences, but if you're not solving the issue, if you're, you're just looking to escape your reality, then that's going to lend itself to some issues financially. And then all of a sudden you're going to get to a point where, where I was, where you don't even know where the stress began. Was it the finances? Was it the workload? Was it the mental health part of it? So it's important for us to kind of take a step back and really look at what the root issues are, because it can look like we're solving the problem when in fact we're creating another issue. And that's the financial aspect of it. And that's what I focused on with this book was the financial aspect, how money weaves itself into these dimensions and how we can use money to help us improve these areas. And one of the key things that I like to stress with people now as well is that it seems overwhelming, right? To think about there's eight different parts of you, what makes you, you it's overwhelming. So where do you start? If you think every single part of your wellness needs some support, the truth is that there is always something of strength within us and it's just natural, or it's just, it just so happens. It's an area of strength. It's an area that we lean on. And so once we start identifying and we understand the eight wellness dimensions, we can identify our areas of strength. And what I want people to know too, is that both of you are in this book and both of you, I share your story and, and the fact that you are very strong in the social wellness dimension and the social health aspect of it. And I think people discount the social health aspect of it when we're looking at how can we improve other aspects of our lives? And I thought both of you were such a prime example of leaning into one another, leaning into your friends, and also then expanding your knowledge and helping a broader community. And that to me is social, that's social wealth. And that is an asset. That is something that we can lean on in tough times. And I think we all realize this with the pandemic, right? This is kind of one of the big things where for the first time, we were all quarantined. We weren't allowed to socialize. And then those people who were bragging about cutting back on socializing with friends, saving the $20, saving the 200, not doing this and that, they realized the value of actual connections mm -hmm. and how connections are vital to our, our health and our wellness. And so for me, I want people to understand too, it's like when we think we're suffering mentally, emotionally, we're physically ill, our finances aren't that great. Well, guess what? Chances are you might have a very healthy social network that you can lean on. And when we are living in an environment where there's a high cost of living, living in an environment where people are unsure about their jobs, well, our social network are places that we can lean into and say, well, perhaps you have a spare bedroom I could rent because I can't afford my apartment. Or perhaps you you're working at a, a company that's hiring and I, just, I was just let go. That's social health. And I think people need to understand that, that that's part of your wellness and something that we need to invest in as well. I really appreciate it. Well, first of all, thank you. I appreciate that you're calling that out, that we are in the book and identifying that we do have 
a social network and that we're, we, we work towards that. I, I want to jump back to something you mentioned before, well, at the very beginning of that thought, consciousness thought, was this idea of going back to the mini vacation, going back to the shopping, going back to... Because what it reminded me of is when we hear this idea that individuals who are alcoholics or addicts oftentimes are self-medicating. Right. And, and, and so we oftentimes criticize and we say that, that these are evils, right? People who drink too much and people who, who do drugs are, are evil because they're doing these things. But you're kind of pointing out that it doesn't have to be quote unquote evil things that we are self medicating. We're covering up our true feelings because we can't figure out what really brings us happiness. So digging into, one of these strengths or multiples of these strengths that we have may help us to break free from this need to self-medicate or or go towards something. And folks, I'm using self-medicating very loosely here because we do know that there are some people when they feel bad about themselves, they just hop on Amazon and start to scroll and buy and buy and buy. And then there are people who would wander around the malls or people who will go to the gym and they'll just spend hours working out. There's lots of different ways we can self-medicate that sometimes people don't even think or perceive them to be bad, but there's still something missing inside of us. Yeah. And that is retail therapy. I mean, it is retail therapy works. It works in, in terms of helping us cope with the current situation that we're in. However, left unchecked, that's going to harm us and that's going to harm our wallets. So that's going to hurt our financial wellness. When it comes to self-medicating, for instance, when it comes to alcohol and drugs, well, what happens when we use that to cope with the issues that we're dealing with, well, that's going to affect also our mental capacity and also our physical well-being and perhaps our social health if, if that's... So, Understanding how these wellness dimensions are intersectional, that they're overlapping, how they one dimension does affect another, then also realizing that since they do affect one another, you can lean into the areas of strength. And so when you're in that situation where you're self-medicating, whether through alcohol or drugs or retail therapy, you want to identify what the root issues are. Interestingly enough, when I did this study on the wellness dimensions, because I thought I was like the smartest person in the world. I'm like, I'm the first one to, under <laughs> to realize there are eight wellness dimensions. And then as I dive deeper, I mean, there have been decades of research on this idea, this concept, and this this eight wellness dimension, this approach has actually been used specifically for people with substance abuse issues. And that has a lot to do with the fact that if we are if we are suffering from a substance, we are dependent on a substance, well, we have to look at, let's say, what's causing that substance dependence. Sometimes it could be our social network. So our social network is actually the root cause of our substance. And so we know that's a weakness. How can we address that? We address that by perhaps changing our environment, so our environmental well-being, taking us away from the environment that brings us to these people that may be exacerbating our dependency on substances. So for me, I'm just like, oh, wow. So there is an answer to pretty much everything because there's that connection. And so it's just figuring out and identifying which dimension is hurting the most and then leaning into that strength. And again, helping us strengthen those areas that need strengthening. 
Yeah. So it sounds like what you're really asking people to pursue is more balance than what they might actually have in their life. Would that be accurate? Yeah. I want to say balance, but I also want people to understand that all the research I've I've read indicates that balance is actually this false idea because there's all there's more of seasonality of effort. There's there's gonna be a season where we're gonna focus on work. The work dimension is gonna be the most important part of us, and that's gonna help us on the financial aspect and also might alleviate some mental distress that we're feeling. And then there's gonna be a a period of our lives where we're gonna focus on physical health. And that physical health, because we know that our body is aching and we're gonna focus on getting better physically. And then we're gonna see how that switches and changes into like switches our mental and emotional health. And so I want people to understand too, it's not about trying to balance all these dimensions all at once. It's that we get to live in the real world where sometimes we're very healthy in one dimension and we're not so healthy in another. Mm -hmm. And I want people to be more gentle and kind to themselves and understand that there are going to be periods where we're going to face some mental distress. And in the book, I talk about the mental distress, not only of my own, but but the ones I was taken in from my family, what they were experiencing with their physical illness and how that was causing me mental distress and how that was leading to financial decisions and, and professional work overload. And, and then for me realizing I don't have to be well in all these dimensions all at once, what understanding that there's that seasonality is so much more vital for my well-being because it's something that we actively pursue on a daily basis and it's nothing that we arrive on. And I think that's kind of one of the biggest things, right? It's like, like when we were achieving financial goals, we think, once we achieve that financial milestone, we will be well. It's the same thing with our holistic wellness. Once we achieve that goal of losing 10 pounds, we're not necessarily much better off than when we were 10 pounds heavier. We've got to look at, okay, well, we just dealt with one aspect and let's let's work on the other pieces of it. And again, it's just understanding how it's all connected. So if I'm hearing and I'm listening to you talk about these dimensions. And I'm I'm wondering to myself, okay, where should I focus? What should I be working on? How do I identify? I mean, maybe I don't have a spending a problem. Maybe my finances are okay. Maybe I seem relatively, I feel relatively happy. How do I kind of say to myself, okay, what do I look at? How do I uncover where my strengths are, where I might be weak, and how I can use my time and money to maybe help strengthen the areas where I'm weak? Yeah. So if you're in a situation where you're financially healthy and your financial dimension is actually one of your strongest dimension, well, this is what this book is trying to help you with. It's trying to get you to strengthen your financial wellness dimension so you can impact other dimensions. But if you're in that situation where you are financially healthy, then you have the opportunity to, one, buy back your time to be able to focus on other areas of your life. So for instance, if you know that you have money saved for to take off a year, that might be a good opportunity for you to start taking a sabbatical from work and then working on other aspects of your life. That might be a period of doing deeper work in terms of your mental health, your emotional well-being, your physical abilities. And things that you thought you couldn't do because you were busy working to earn the money that has strengthened your financial dimension, 
And so for me, when I when I go and I share with people who have the means, I ask them, how are you using your money to improve your mental health? And the one thing that I realized when it, when it came to the mental health aspect of it, which I call happy mind in the book, is that there are two different things here. We can have a mental health crisis or a clinically diagnosable mental health issue. Those things are different. So many of us experience mental health crisis. And what those things could be brought on by other aspects, everything that happening, whether internally in our in, in our lives or externally, things that we can't control. And when we have the financial means, we can then pay for a therapist. We can also pay for new experiences. And what's interesting is the studies that show that when you pay for coaches, when you pay for workshops that are actually helping your mind learn something new, well, guess what? Your mind is becoming more resilient. Your mind is getting new data inputs that's going to perceive your situation differently. And so that's why it's if you have that financial means, you buy back your time, then you're then able to utilize that to, one, learn more grow your mental understanding, and that thereby is going to help you perceive your situation differently. The same thing too, if you're looking at perhaps the neighborhood that you live in isn't isn't so great and you have the financial means, it might be an opportunity to change the environment that you're in, change the happy space. And so there are different things that we, we can do when you you get to a point where you're financially healthy. And that was the aim of this book because I can talk about the wellness dimensions and kind of focus on one on how mental health affects the seven other dimensions. In this book, I wanted to talk specifically about how financial health affects these right. dimensions and that kind of like inverse relationship. I do. One of my favorite quotes from the book is, you say, if you're not using money to reduce stress, buy back time and become happier, you're doing it all wrong. And I just, to me, that just, that just screams just being intentional with how you're using your money, regardless of how much or how little you have. If you're not using it to support one of those three or, or four factors, then you might not be getting the best ROI for your money. Absolutely. You know, what's really interesting is that when I spoke with millionaires and billionaires and just friends about being happy and their finances. And everyone will tell me it's it's about buying back your time. And that's true. But everyone said, you need to know what to do with that time. So owning your time and having all the time in the world will actually cause a great deal of distress if you do not know what to do with it. Yeah. And so part of that too, it's I think when I push back within you know certain aspects of the personal finance space that says, live pretty much way, way below your means, sacrifice everything until you get to a point where you're financially independent 10 years, 15 years down the line. Well, we've lived through the pandemic, that there's certain things that we can't control, then time just flies by, that there is a way for us to live well today while we plan for a better tomorrow. And part of that is that process of understanding what is it that we like, and that's not going to happen when we achieve those financial milestones. So so my challenge for everyone, set those financial milestones, but I want you to be intentional. I want you to know how you would utilize that time when you've retired early or when you've achieved these goals. Because what I've learned and what people have shared with me are, are really like powerful stories. Some of them are very sad. People who've chosen to focus their attention on achieving financial number and then realizing they don't know their partner 
as well as they they thought they did and they ended up separating or people who who've done certain things going wow i wanted to and this is this is a story i didn't share in the book but i spoke with someone who had a kid and they were like we're going to go to disney world a little later on once we achieve x number this financial milestone and guess what happened their child was diagnosed with a disease and so in their mind they start going what did we do and and so so that's kind of one of those things it's that we can plan we can have the best plan for the future but life happens in the present moment and so you want to utilize your financial means your money to buy back your time to bring in a bit more happiness and so i think that is that is essentially what what my goal is for this book is for people to understand the power of money as a tool to create fill in that blank actually that reminds me of the story that you shared about when you didn't go visit your grandmother because you wanted yeah. to save five hundred dollars then the pandemic happened and turns out she unfortunately passed away before the pandemic was over and the regret in hindsight like you wish you would have was that five hundred dollars really worth it and I think you're you're right there's a lot of people in the personal finance space who get hypercritical about every single penny but you have to realize that you're Tomorrow's not promised for any of us, right? And so if you're, you know, you want to live for today, right? You definitely want to plan for tomorrow, but you also want to live for today and enjoy your quality of life today. Yeah, I think there's so much focus on optimizing returns and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But how are we optimizing our life? And how yeah. we optimize our life are the things that we get to do, the things that we share with people, the memories that we create with one another. That's how we optimize it. And I know, we all know this, right? when we are not facing financial stress, it is so much easier to be present with our friends. And so we all want people to, to have less financial stress. That's why we are on this mission to get people financially well. And so, but I am of the, the cloth, the ilk or whatever that saying is, that we can live well today while we plan for a better tomorrow. And then that we can understand that we can have these amazing, big, audacious financial goals, but also to be kind to ourselves and say, well, it's okay for me to, to spend a little bit today and figure out how to make more of it tomorrow. And when you shared about my story with my grandmother, that's one of the things that hurt me a lot because as a person who lives by certain philosophy, I chose a financial calculation over a human connection. I made a life choice just solely filtering it through that financial lens. Mm -hmm. And I will never be able to get back that time to see my grandmother for that one last moment to hug her. And so that will live with me. And so I don't want people to feel that way. And I want them to understand there, there is that in that sense, the seasonality of effort where we're going to be frugal at one period in our lives. And we're going to be a little bit more spendthrift on another but also knowing that they're, they're, like, at the end, when we're all old and we're sitting in our rocking chairs and, and staring out into the sunset, we're going to think about these memories. We're going to think about the things that we've done. And, and so that's what I want people to understand. And that's, and that's how I feel that we can buy back our time and how that helps us to live that f much more fulfilling, joyful, and happy life. 100%. So what's your definition, the difference between rich and wealthy? So rich is what people see. It's what you show others. Wealth is what you feel. And interestingly enough, wealth comes from well, which is like, I forgot, 15th, 14th century 
term to talk about how well are you doing? So yeah, you're well, wealthy, and that's how it evolved. And rich is just this societal version of, of what you're projecting and what you hope others see you. And when you're wealthy, you don't need others to see you a specific way. It's what you feel and it's what you project. And so I look at it in terms of, well, yes, a wealthy person can be rich, but the wealthy person's also free of spirit and mind. A rich person it has their riches, but also they might be they might just be trapped and and not feel as secure and not feel as confident and not feel as good about themselves. Yeah, I yeah. think that's a that's why I think why why a lot of people look at that definition of money can't buy happiness and say, oh look, well see that's why money can't buy happiness because oftentimes they're looking at rich people who aren't actually figuring out how to use their money to solve the issues that they have in life. And so that's why the, why we've equated money can't buy happiness because we see a, a lot of rich people on the outward appearance, they look rich, they have things, but they truly aren't happy. Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of one of the key things too, is that we think we can buy the things that are going to make us happy. And then we realize the thing we, we talked about it where money solves the money problems, but money doesn't solve the life problems. And so it goes back to what are your life problems? Your life problems might be love. So you can buy sex, but you can't buy love. You could buy a house, but you can't feel safe. You know, those are things. And, and so I want people to understand what is it that you're actually looking to have in your life? And what are the things that you're purchasing? Are they bringing you closer to it or, or is it taking you further away? And once you have that aha moment, you start realizing how truly powerful money can be as a tool to help you buy happiness. And so for me, that was, that was really life-changing. And I'm still on this journey of learning and growing and, and understanding too. And I, and I want to say this because the reason why I probably haven't been on your podcast and we started this early on is the fact that I think I still held so much shame, guilt, and embarrassment for how financially messy I was. And now I have accepted the fact that I was a high functioning financial mess. And the reality <laughs> is that, that before, <laughs> but the reality is that I was a high functioning mess. And, and that's because I have gone through so much in my life. And so me sharing the mental distress and the mental health issues I was facing and how that was perpetuating my financial issues and how my financial issues were then heightening my mental distress mm -hmm. and me going, and I talk about this as a preface, I'm like, which began first, my mental issues or my, my financial issues? And then you get to this problem of trying to second guess every decision you make and then it gets you tired and and now you can't even get up out of bed to do the work necessary to fix your situation and for me being in the financial industry being in this personal finance space i knew everything i need to know about money and so once i leaned into the financial dimension that i was hurting in but i was strong in mentally because i understood money Mm -hmm. I just wasn't doing it right. Once I leaned into it, I was then able to utilize that to help every other aspect of my life. Being able to, to speak with a therapist and talking about my issues, being able to solve a lot of the legal issues that we're facing as a business owner that we don't know about. So I think that is ultimately what I want people to understand that it doesn't matter where we begin, it's where we end up. And it's not so matter 
it doesn't matter as much where we end up, it's where we continue going. And that's part of life, right? It's growth. Absolutely. Before we wrap things up, would you mind if we got a reading of the acorn within? Yeah, sure thing. I would try to do this on in memory, but I think I will I will forget. No, that's fine. <laughs> I couldn't and do so, it on command either. <laughs> I I have been practicing and and so I do appreciate because for me, I think one of the scariest thing was to create a spoken word and a poem. Mm-hmm. And when my publishers realized, my editor, that I wanted poems in this book, they're like, there is no poems and in, in money books. And I go, <laughs> I go, I want to be different. And I think it's gonna it's gonna change up the feeling for the book to understand that money should make us do more of the things that bring us joy and yeah. things like that. I yeah. loved it. when I read it, I thought it was amazing. And I was and I didn't realize until afterward that that you wrote it. The whole time I'm reading it, I'm like, this is really good. I never I never heard of it before. And then at the end, I'm Jason like, Jason wrote it. Jason wrote it. That's <laughs> awesome. It, yeah, it is, it is, it is my life. And and so I do appreciate that I get to I get to share it. So this is the uh, the spoken word, the acorn within. There were times I believed I was a joke. I was so ass broke. Going through these stressful situations, all I saw were my limitations. I was having all these physical symptoms without knowing the failure of my mental systems. You see, I needed to get out of my head. The first step was to get out of bed. Off I went out the door to go out and explore. I found that during my walk out there, it became easier to think and hear with care. So I went further on this path, this track, and with the sun beating down my neck, I took comfort in shade to contemplate the life choices I've made. Sitting underneath this big oak tree on the ground, I found an oak nut, a little seed, an acorn, you see. I pondered how something so small can grow into something so strong. Could I have been wrong? The leaps I want to make starts with the small steps I need to take. Even though I felt small, I matter, causing my living beliefs to shatter. Broke was a temporary instance. Poor was a state of existence. Often, I felt behind because I hadn't shifted my mind. Wealth is a state of being, aware of our mind, body, soul, living fully in our life's goal. It's true. Money impacts most things. Some things. A thing. But money isn't everything. Man. Wait, human. Create your plan. Free yourself from debt and despair, not solely in credit repair. Grow your net worth. Believe in your self-worth. Allow money to flow, not through a spreadsheet of deprivation or drawn-out deliberation. Flow with intention, because life is best lived with purposeful direction. Ding. Do you hear that chime? My time is coming to a close, so let me end with a little more lyrical prose. Time is not money. Money is printed. Time is limited. Time is the most valuable resource you possess. Become obsessed. Be willing to save and spend that dime and learn to value your time. Because life isn't about sacrifice and sadness. Life is sacrifice in choosing happiness. Underneath that big oak tree, I found a little acorn within me. I realized my life was no small joke. And at that moment, I woke yeah, awesome. yeah, I love that. Thank you. That's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So where all connect listeners connect with you online and where can they buy a copy of your book? 
Yeah. So you can buy a copy of my book by going to happymoneyhappylifebook.com. And you can follow me on social media. I'm active at, at Jason Vitug on Twitter and Instagram. And also on at Frugal, P-H-R-O-O-J-L, if you want all the money aspects of it. And if you like breath work, yoga, and travel, and the financial conversation, definitely on my personal channel. Very cool. Well, our listeners can hang on to the end to find out how they might be able to win a free copy of your book. But in the meantime, thank you so much for joining us. And especially thank you so much for including us in your book. We are, I can't tell you how honored and appreciated we are. Well, thank you so much for being part of this journey. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Wow, what a great show. Thank you, Jason, for sharing your insight and wisdom. To your listeners, here's your criminal takeaway from this episode. Get a copy of Jason's book, Happy Money, Happy Life, and take a deep dive into the eight wellness dimensions that we talked about on this episode. Then if you want to win Jason's book... Happy Money, Happy Life. Subscribe to the Queer Money Podcast email list in your podcast player. And join us this Thursday when we share the most affordable, most LGBTQ-friendly city in Wisconsin. And next Tuesday when we talk about donor advice funds and how people who don't like us because we're LGBTQ are using these investment tools against us. Thank you and have a great week.